Well, good morning again, once again, Swerve Church. It's an honor, it's always a privilege to be with you guys this morning and to wrap up our sermon series, How to Neighbor. Those of you here for the first time, I also want to welcome you. My name is Stephen, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Swerve Church. And as I mentioned, as Danny mentioned, we are in the final week of what's been a great series on How to Neighbor. And I I said it last week, Danny, we said it to each other. We say it's kind of every sermon series, it seems like. And there's really no coincidence. It's just God is always involved in it. Man, this series has been super timely. Danny looked at me last week during our Grill and Chill, which was awesome, which was a lot of fun. We have one up coming up next month, next week, so uh, just come out to that one. But uh, we looked at each other last week, and we were like, man, it's just been so good, so timely as we're able to reach out to community. But what I love most about this sermon series is being able to hear your stories. I've been able to hear, to hear some, from some of you guys talking about how this has encouraged you to reach out to your neighbor, how it's encouraged you to reach out to your coworker. And so it's been phenomenal, and I've been really enjoying it. And this is important to us at Swerve Church. It's important to us because people are important to us. Our neighbors are important to us. You matter. We matter, right? That's why our value is this. We say we're not spiritual con- uh, contributors. We are, we're not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. What that means is we are the church. We don't simply go to church, but we are the church and we exist for the world. It's one of our values here at Swerve Church, man. We truly believe that 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 we matter to one another. Our neighbors matter to God and that you matter. And it's important that we get this. It's important as a church that we truly live this. And it matters to God because people matter. Why does it matter to God? Man, he loves you and he cares for you. You are important to him. And so, man, I just want to encourage you right off the bat, if you're here today and that's what you needed to hear, man, you matter to God. You are important and he loves you. And so today what we're going to be discussing is a topic that's really a tricky one. A tricky one because it's an emotion, it's a struggle that so many people go through and it can be hidden so easily. You don't realize how how lonely we are and we can tend to be. Even in New York City, as you just heard Danny say, 9 million people in New York City. Three million in Brooklyn, right here in Bushwick, 120,000 people. You can be surrounded by so many people. You can have a Facebook account and have 400 people following you, yet feel so alone. And why is that? Man, it's been a great series, and we did week one. We talked about how um, how we can neighbor to those who are different cultures and different race. That was week one. Week two, we looked at the marginalized and the outcast. And in week three, we talked about how can we be a better neighbor to those who are poor materially, emotionally, spiritually, but also relationally. We said that this is an issue that deals with all people, no matter your race, no matter your, 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 whether you're male, female, no matter your position in, in, in society, no matter your culture, where you're living, this affects all people. We all need to learn how to be better neighbors, and today's no different. Today we're going to be talking about how do we be a better neighbor and love the lonely. That's the topic for today's sermon. It's the lonely loved. The lonely loved. Do you know that it's important to God whether you live a life alone? God cares about that. In fact, the very beginning of the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, let me help you out. It starts off in the book of Genesis, and the first chapter is talking about creation. It's probably a good place to start. And in the book of, in the book of Genesis, God talks about how he created the heavens and the earth. And he creates the, the, the sky, the sun, the trees, the animals. He creates all things. And those of you who are familiar, after he creates these things, he says what? It is, come on, we got some more, come on. It is good. It is good. He said, I create this and it is 
good. God looked at it. He liked it. He said it is good. And then he creates the first man, Adam, right? And unlike his other creations, he looks at Adam and he says, oh, this is not so good. It is not good that man be alone. It is not good that man be alone. See, God doesn't love, did not create us to live a life of loneliness. That's still something that God cares about today. He has not planned it so that you live your life alone. But yet so many are affected by loneliness. In our buildings, in our homes, in our workplaces, so many of us are affected. Even those of you here today perhaps are, are going through a season in your life where you just feel very, very alone. Loneliness, again, is tricky because if I ask you, man, tell me who's lonely. And most of you probably right away think about the old folks, right? Yeah, the old people living in the they must be lonely. They must be lonely. But I want us to expand our thinking a little bit here today. Danny hit on this term last week, and he's talked about relational poverty. And he said this. He said, man, we're, we're, we're aware of material poverty, right? The, the fact that probably you don't have a car, you, you, you don't have the latest iPhone, you're lacking something materially, and, you know, you don't have much. And so you, you, you think of poverty, you think of what you have or what you don't have. But Danny talked about something called relational poverty last week. And this is the reality that you can be around so many people and yet feel very, very alone. It's the, it's the stay-at-home mom who has kids with her who are depending on her, yet she feels a sense of loneliness. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the, it's the student living in a dorm room surrounded by other kids, other, 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 other students, yet not having anyone that they trust. It's the successful businessman or businesswoman at the top of their job, at the top of their business, yet feeling very alone. It's the spouse living in a dysfunctional marriage, yet feeling alone. It's true, you can sleep next to someone all every day and yet feel very alone. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle, he's the pastor of Life Church, said this. He said this about material poverty and relational poverty. He said, material poverty is lacking the essentials to get you through the day. Relational poverty is lacking the intimacy and connections to get you through life. Steve, I'll say it again. He said material poverty is lacking the essentials to get you through the day. Relational poverty lacking the intimacy, connections to get you through life. Why is this? I want to start off with the first maybe 10 minutes of our time, giving you four quick reasons in your notes. When you came in, you got a bulletin inside there. You'll see uh, some notes. If you love to take notes, this is, your, this is for you. All right, we want you to follow along. And so in our notes, the first four blanks are going to be, how, why is it that we struggle through this loneliness, even though we're surrounded by so many people? And the first one is this, if you're taking notes with us, it's the breakdown of families. Why are so many more people dealing with emotional or relational poverty? The breakdown of families. And this is a sad reality for some of you even here today. The sad reality in Bushwick, especially the sad reality in New York, in Brooklyn, it's the increasing number of families that are broken. You have a split in marriage. Who gets the children? Right? You have this brokenness. Who, who's going to get this and who's going to get that? And you have families that are broken up. And unfortunately, some of us here today experience just that in our lives. It's being in the reality of just a nasty split up in a family. And so you have this breakdown of family. The second reason of why we are struggling so much more today with the relational poverty is increased mobility. This means an increased number of families that tend to move around more than ever. Right? It's very rare today for a family to really stay rooted in one community for their entire lives. It's just a fact. 
Another thing with that that I think about when I think of increased mobility is just the fact that we have so many different ways of modes of transportation to get places that we rarely walk anywhere anymore, right? And so normally if you walk to your, your job and, and as you're walking, you're meeting neighbors and you're, you know, face-to-face interactions, that rarely happens now if you're in your car, even in the subway station, right? Everyone with their beats on, their headphones on, and their books. And so this face-to-face interaction does not happen much. So you have this increased mobility. The third reason why most of us deal with the relational poverty is a heavy workload. A heavy workload. Just like the increase in mobility, our heavy workloads have decreased our interactions with those around us. Why is this? Because we're just so busy, right? We're always on the move. We're so focused in on what we're doing, whether it's in school, whether it's at home or at your job. We're just so busy and too focused to slow down. And realize that you live a life with other people around you, right? It's like we can be so focused, we forget that we have, you know, we have other responsibilities. We have people who depend on us. We have people who are looking out for us, who, who desire relationships with us. This includes our God who's created us for intimacy with him. We become so focused and too busy that we tend to forget those around us. The last reason I want to give you today quickly is the rise of social media. This could be a surprising thing to most of us because you obviously know the the positive effects of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, right? Where you can connect with family members and people all over the world in one place. We can get together. We can know, you know, what's going on every second of everyone's life, right? Through Facebook. And so we get what we think, though, is a deep look into someone's life. But that is all shallow if you really think about it, right? How many of us really, out of the 600 people who follow you on Facebook, how many of those people do you really know or have a deep, intimate connection with. And so what has social media done? It's actually created this false sense of community. And so so many of us fall into this trap and say, man, as long as someone likes it, if I have 20 people who like this video, I'm going to feel loved. And so you mask your loneliness with this false community on Facebook. And so that's just four quick reasons why is it that relational poverty and loneliness is such an issue today, despite how many people live here in New York City. But I want us to shift our focus now a little bit, guys. I want us to shift our focus on discussing three ways of how we then deal with loneliness. How do we love our neighbor? How do we love the lonely? Remember, we're in this series called How to Neighbor. And so to do that, we're going to look at scripture. And particularly, we're going to look at the life of Jesus. And we're going to see how Jesus dealt with the lonely. I think he's a great person to go ahead and model, right? And so we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to see how does he deal, how does he love the lonely. And if you're taking notes again, the first one is this. We love with touch. We love with touch. The husbands go, yes, I believe that one. We love with touch. This is a remark. There's a remarkable encounter that I want us to look at today. Um, And it's Jesus and his encounter with this man who's suffering from this disease called leprosy. And I I provided verses. We're going to look at Matthew Chapter 8, verses 7, uh, excuse me, verses 2 and 3. I I provided that in your notes with you today. So Matthew, chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. But verse 1 starts off, when he came down from the mountain, he being Jesus, large crowds followed him. Just for the context, this is right after Jesus preaches his famous sermon on the mount, right? He had large crowds following him. And so he leaves the mountain, he walks down, and then verse 2 in your notes goes this way right away a man with leprosy came up he knelt down before him 
saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I want to stop right there because I want you to catch how remarkable this man's faith is here. Did you see it? Did anyone catch that? He doesn't ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, can you heal me? I have this terrible disease. Obviously, you know, because you see it. And we'll talk about leprosy in a second. I have this disease. Can you heal me, Jesus? No. He says what? He says, you can make me clean. He makes a statement. And I wanted to stop there today because I want to ask you a question. And this is a little side note. Do you believe that God can do all things in your life? Do you believe that all things are possible through Christ? Do you believe that? And so how does Jesus then respond to this man's statement? I'm going to need your help a little bit. He says in verse 3, reaching out his, what? His hand. Jesus touched him. He what? He touched him. And he says this. He's saying, I am willing be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This is verse 3 of Matthew chapter 8. Now we're not going to get the power of this encounter Unless you and I have this idea, this understanding of what this disease, leprosy is. Now, when you see a person or if you've seen a person with leprosy, it's a lot more popular. Obviously, that back in Jesus' time than it is today. But you would immediately think, man, this is a skin disease, a horrible skin disease. But it really was a disease that affected the nervous system. This is so common in Jesus' time that there was actually a law. A law that was there for those who had leprosy. Whenever they walked around... And they were approaching, any, anyone was approaching them or they were approaching someone on the street. They had to literally yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. And then hide their deformities, hide their skin, hide their hand. As they walked and rang a bell and shouted, unclean, watch out, here I come. Stay away from me. Stay away from me. And, and their deformities, it only worsened within time. The disease was spread to parts of their bodies like their hands, their feet, their face. And it would cause disfigurements in their skins. And actually their hands would begin to wrinkle up and curl almost looking like claws. And on their faces would be like growth tumors like with pus in it. And it, was, it would just grow and grow. And the nerve damage got so extensive that they can literally pour, they can pour boiling water on their hands and their body and will not feel the pain coming from that. Someone suffering at this time with leprosy was set to live probably no more than 10 years. And this is 10 years or so of this deformity, of this shame, of this loneliness, having to tell everyone, stay away from me. Don't come near me. I'm unclean. And people walking away. And Jesus looked at this person and he reaches out his hand and he touches him. Now, I just stopped there and I thought of that and I said, man, honestly, if that was me, no hand sanitizers around at that time, I'm not getting near that person. Couldn't Jesus like just spoke a word and healed him? We talked about the book of Genesis, right, where God creates all things through a word and he speaks like and his words are powerful. And yet Jesus could have done that, but he touches this man. This reminded me of an encounter my wife and I had. About a month ago, we were out in Kensington and we were handing out some water bottles and just greeting some of our neighbors and saying hi with the kids with us. And my wife approached this lady who was standing in front of Walgreens, appeared to be homeless and, and in need of just water and someone to talk to. So Joe went up to her and gave her this water bottle and spoke to her for a little bit, gave her a card, got her name. And, and, and you know, we, we kept going. And as we were leaving, we walked by her again and she stopped us and, you know, she just asked, hey, do you have some cash? I'm trying to get on the train and whatnot. 
Um, and so my wife and I said, yeah, we'll be right back. We were getting our kids. We had our bags with us. And so we brought our kids to the car and I walked back. I gave her, you know, a few bucks and then I gave her uh, 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 just a word of encouragement. And she thanked me and she said, hey, can you pray with me? And so I prayed with her. And as soon as I said amen, she reached out on her arms and she pulled me in. She gave me a hug and she kissed me right in the cheek. And I'm like, oh, wow. And she's like, I'm going to I'm going to church tomorrow and I'm going to tell the pastor to pray for you. I'm like, oh, thank you. And I walk back to my car and I'm like, oh, man, praise God. Thank you. But honestly, brothers and sisters, friends, I was a little bit, you know, like grossed out. And I'll be honest with you. And I was a little bit nervous. And I probably, you know, like you guys looking at me, man, that's bad. Steve. But honestly, she kissed me on the cheek and it was just so unexpected. I, I didn't know what to do. And I looked at Joe and I'm like, I hope I don't get sick. And, you know, and, and that's the truth. And but, man, it hit me. It hit me right there that what she probably needed, and I don't know if this is truth or not, but what I'm guessing, what I thought, what God put in my heart by that moment was, man, I could have been the first person she's hugged all day, the first person she's kissed all week. And a hug and a kiss is what she needed. And she was thankful for the bottled water and the prayer, but the hug and kiss put a smile on her face. And so back to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus encountered this person. He reaches out his hands and he touches him. And I think what we can learn from this is Jesus is telling us something, or at least is showing us something. There is someone, some people, and some loneliness and sufferings that cannot be uh, dealt with and loved on without human touch. The fact that this man was declared an outcast and rejected, as we just learned, this type of disease Jesus knew can only be healed by human touch. And let us think about that for a moment. We are created for relationships. Right. We are designed to be connected to one another. We said this, man, we're not created to be alone. And sometimes what we need more than anything is just someone to hug us, someone to touch us, someone to show me that they care with a touch. Now, you're probably not much of a hugger and that's all good. But I just want to let you know, man, here at Swerve Church, if you need a hug, there's someone here that's going to hug you today. Miss Milagros will be the first one as you walk into these doors, and I know it. And she will give you a hug and a kiss on your cheek because, man, we know, we know that there's someone in here. Some people, we just need a hug. And so if someone you're sitting next to you, go ahead and give them a hug right now. No one's moving. I'm joking. It's all good. You don't want to hug anybody right now. It's all good. But, man, sometimes we need love with a hug. Right, man? The second thing is this. We will love by listening. We're going to love by listening. I quickly learned this truth once I got married. All right? Once I got married. Now, see, for guys, and I joked on it a little bit earlier, for the guys, we get excited when we say love by touch. That's Love by listening, uh, not so much. Because that takes work. And now for all of us, male, female, this is true for all of us. Listening is not something that comes naturally, right? I'm guilty of this. I know you're guilty of this. You're talking to someone and you're listening to them, but you're not listening to them. You're listening with the intent to what? To respond, right? And so you're thinking, man, what is my clever response going to be? How am I going to get you on this one? Or, or what am I going to say now? It's a, and you're thinking this up and the person's talking and you're not really listening. How many of you have got called out on that though before? I've had. <laughs> and a quick story, um, short story, true. My three-year-old son, three years old, caught me on this. Wasn't that long ago. He comes over to me and he runs over. And you know, if you have kids, man, they can be telling you, like, they tie their shoes and it's the most exciting thing in the world. And so I forgot what it was because I really wasn't listening. But 
Steven runs over to me and he's like really animated and upset. And he's like, Daddy, you know, I da, 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 and he finishes it. And I'm like, oh man, so cool. And he stops and he looks at me and he like kind of gets angry. He's like, no, not cool. What you talking about? That got hurt. That's not cool. Not cool. I didn't know what he said. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not cool. And he called me. He caught me. I wasn't really listening to him. My, I was looking at him and I'm nodding my head, but I wasn't listening. Now, how many of us have got caught with this? How many of us? And you're married. Don't nod your head at this point. But we're just not great listeners. Jesus, though, is a great listener. Jesus was a phenomenal listener. And he demonstrates this in our next story as he encounters two men. And these men are walking back to Jeru- uh, from Jerusalem to, this, to their town, to a village. And they're walking back. This is two days in context after Jesus was crucified and, and buried. And, and they're walking back to their town, probably with the reality that, man, I've given up so much time just thinking that Jesus was this Messiah. And I put all my hope in Jesus. I thought he was going to build his kingdom. And all along, yes, Jesus was building his kingdom, but not the kingdom that they thought or they assumed or they wanted. And so they're walking back to their village and they're bummed out. They're disappointed. They're angry. They're feeling lonely now, man. We had hopes in this God, Jesus, and he's dead. And I'm going back to my life and I'm lonely again. I have no hope again. And they're walking back and they're talking all about what took place. And then Jesus joins them on this road. They don't know it's Jesus. You can preach a whole other sermon on that. They don't know it's Jesus. And so he joins them. And, 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 and Jesus says this as he approaches them. It's in your notes. He says, then he, Jesus, asks them, what is this dispute that you're having with, uh, what, that you're having with each other as you're walking? They stopped. They looked discouraged, probably angry. Annoyed. And one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened in these days? Like, come on, man. Where have you been living? And so did Jesus don't know what, what they were talking about again? I'm sure. I know. Jesus knew exactly what they were talking about. Jesus knew what they were disputing. But he engages these men with conversation. And the one looking annoyed again, man, living on the rock. Where have you been? Don't you know what happened? And as the man said this, if it was you and I, it would have been like, surprise, I got this, you know, I got the answer. I, it's me. I'm alive. And your loneliness is it's all going away. Here I am. And Jesus could have provided the answer as they were probably thinking, have I wasted my time? Jesus could have answered them right there. But he doesn't give them the answer. He doesn't respond that way. Look at how he responds. In verse 19, what things... What things, Jesus asks them. What things? He asks them this question, even though he could have ended their sorrow. Why does he do this? What can we learn from Jesus here? Listen up to this one. and This is, this is great. This is, this is awesome. Jesus is teaching us, I think, in this moment in time. He says, man, what things? What is he teaching them? Even though he could have gave them the answer, he says, what things? Listen, there are people's problems. Some of our problems cannot be solved by us simply giving them the answer right away. Sometimes people just need you to listen. Not all the problems that we have can be solved with an answer right away. Sometimes it's not, not many times, what people need for you is not for you to give them an answer, but to take time to listen to their story. I've learned this as being married and Joe would tell me something. I don't, she doesn't want an answer right away, even though I'm, you know, I got the answer to it. I can solve this problem, right? I think I can. 
but she just needs me to listen. Listen to the hurt. Listen to the pain. Listen to the struggle. Listen to the disappointments. You don't always have the answers. And that's okay. And that's okay. For example, I mean, I, at work, you, someone asks you, how's your day? And then you keep on walking. How about stopping, right? And listening with the intent of really getting at that person's heart. To getting at the pain or whatever is it that they're going through. Sometimes we need to slow it down. In fact, uh, uh, many times we've, we've been in situations where we, someone is telling us something that's so hurtful and painful. And we right away, man, we don't know what to do with that. But let me tell you something. Something I've learned. It's been really hard to learn this. You don't have to give an answer. You don't have to have the most clever thing, the comforting thing to say, scriptures to point out to them. and Just be there. Just listen. It's a lesson that we need to learn. It's a skill that we need to work at. Sometimes we just need to listen. And that's the most loving thing we can do for that person. It's not give them the answer. Not tell them what they should do, what they should not do, how they should react, what God's word says about it. Sometimes just listen. Just take the time to listen. And that's actually our last one here. We're going to love with touch. We're going to love with listening. We'll write this down. We will love with time. This is super, super important. We love with time. There's probably no better way to love those who are feeling alone by just giving them your uninterrupted time. And this is difficult. We live in a culture, again, fast-paced, where time is precious. We say this. We say time is money, right? And, and, and we, we can't slow it down. And there's so much that, that, that needs, to, needs our attention. We live at this pace where, man, every minute soaks up our day, right? And so to give someone our time is so difficult. but so, so important. See, God, again, has gifted us with one another to live a life of community, and we're missing that out because we don't spend time and uninterrupted time. Uninterrupted time is so important. I've mentioned this before. Fridays, we have family movie night. Why my children love that night? Because it's uninterrupted time. It's time where I got to put aside my things where, where we've gone through a busy school week or work week, and we just need to slow down, give attention, attention to one another, watch a movie, and slow it down and spend time with one another. Spend uninterrupted time. I love to take my kids also one-on-one dates. It doesn't happen every time, but when I get the opportunity to take them on these dates, and why do I do that, and why do they enjoy it? It's their uninterrupted one-on-one time with daddy. And it's so important. Let's not miss this opportunity, brothers and sisters, Swerve Church, to love one another without time. How many of us can think of a loved one that we've lost, and we say, man, I wish I just had some time. I think of my grandmother who I love and but not able to spend much time with. I wish I can go back and spend this time with her, listen to her stories, growing up as a Jewish woman, marrying a Puerto Rican man, getting disowned by her family, living a life now with no family but raising her children in far Rockaway in the projects. I would love to spend time with her. Swerve Church, people are important, and we're going to demonstrate that as we learn to love them without time. We live busy lives. New York City's busy. Can't escape that. But we cannot allow our busyness to rob our time from what's really important. It's our relationships with one another. People are important. We're important. We love with touch. We love by listening. And we love without time. I want to wrap up this time today and I want to speak to you. If you are in a season right now, and perhaps you're in this lonely season, and you just feel like no one sees you, 
No one cares for me. No one is around. I want to tell you this. We see you. We care for you. We are here for you. We say this every week, but we're doing our best as a church to live this out. We are not like family. We are family. The family is messy. Swerve Church is messy a lot of times. We're messy. Our relationships are messy. There's, there's, there's disagreements. There's conflict. But that's what family is about. Family is not perfect. No one here is perfect. But I want you to know that you are family. You are seen. You are cared for. And we're going to encourage one another. If you need a hug today, see Miss Malago. She's going to give you one today. If you need someone to listen to you, we're going to listen today. I want us to be intentional about this as we wrap up this series, church. How to neighbor. Man, let us take the time with one another. As we talk to one another after this time, as we you know, ask each other, how's your week? How's your day? Let's listen. Let's take the time. That's why I'm so excited about life groups. We heard it during announcements. We're kicking off not one, not two, but three life groups. And it's so exciting because, man, we are, live, we are designed to live life together. We're going to be intentional about that here at Swerve Church. We have to be. But I want to also tell you, even more important than Swerve being there for you and loving you and caring for you. If you're living this life right now and you're in a season of loneliness, I want you to know that God sees you. God cares for you. And God is with you. Final scripture of our day of, for today in our notes, Isaiah 41, says this. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will hope you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Can we repeat that, church? Can we say that together? Let's go. Nice and loud. One, two, three. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you. With my righteous right hand. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. He is with you. He is for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He sees you. And he is upholding you. He's holding you. He is your sustainer. He's the rock that we can lean on. He's the refuge. He's our shelter. He's the one that we can run to. In fact, he cares so much that he laid down his life for you on the cross. Jesus willingly gave up his life. And he died a, 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 a harsh, crucial, uh, excruciating pain, death on this cross. And he stood there for you and I. He endured this pain and he was buried and he rose again from the grave, proving victorious over it. So that you and I can now live a life new and alive, never to be alone again. Never to be alone again. As you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, he has restored our relationships with one another. But more importantly, he has restored and redeemed our relationship to our Father. And you and I don't ever have to live a life alone. He is with you. He is for you. He loves you. There is assurance and salvation in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God. We thank you today, Lord, that, God, you are a God that sees me. You're a God that sees us, a God that knows us, a God that cares for us, a God that loves us. 
so much so that you've given us one another, God. You've placed us in community. You designed us to be like you, to live amongst community. Father, I pray first for us as a church, oh God, that we will learn to love one another deeper, that we will value one another, that this family, God, would truly live it out, Lord, as one God, that we would love one another and we will love Bushwick. We will love our community. We will go out, God, and we will learn to be better neighbors, God, that we would really desire it, Father. God, because that's what you designed us for, Lord. Let us see that, God. Let us understand it and let us live it, Father. And then, God, I want to pray for my brother, my sister, my friend here today, God, who's going through a season of loneliness, Lord. My God, I thank you that you are a God again who knows. A God that's acted. A God that's not sit at a distance and, and hopes we turn it around or figure it out. But a God that enters in. A God that has entered in. A God that walks alongside us on that road as we are probably just like the two men trying to figure out what life's about now. God, as you approach us, that you walk alongside us, you listen to our hearts. You whisper to us, I love you, my precious daughter, my precious son, and I'm with you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Father, I thank you for that truth. I pray that, God, we will surrender, Lord, for all things, Father, and that our desire and our life longings would be to just enjoy Jesus. We thank you, God. We pray all things today and always. In Jesus' name, amen.